0: Hey, everybody, we're going to do something a little bit different this episode. Instead of going through every single package installed on a Slackware Linux install disk, I'm going to talk about some listener feedback that I got from my friend Deep Geek, who you'll know if you've listened to this show for any length of time, or for that matter, to Hacker Public Radio. Uh, Deep Geek wrote A fairly long message and usually when people write me email uh messages, I they it usually gets me thinking and then I start talking. And then a show is is the result, so or an episode rather. So that's that's I think what's gonna happen here. Could be wrong, maybe it'll only maybe it'll be brief. I don't know, but it's already probably taken me a minute to introduce the concept, so that's not a good sign. Okay. Let's jump right into this email. He says, I just love the Firefox browser. As far as I know, it is the only browser that supports multiple cookie jars. So as you know, cookies are important for tracking users. Just by pressing a few clicks for strict tracking protection, Firefox isolates third-party cookies and blocks tracking cookies based on a database of known trackers. When I say isolates, I mean that the third-party cookies that one website put into your browser is separated out when you go to another website. If you go to a second website that puts a third-party cookie into your browser from the same tracker, Firefox actually has two cookies for the same tracker, one for each site. So each track- so, so the tracking organization doesn't see that you have visited both sites. They see two browsers instead. The process isolation is so good, in fact, that if you use the add-on for multi-account containers, you can sign on to the same website under different accounts in different tabs. And when you tell Firefox to forget that it visited a certain site, it deletes those third-party cookies instead associated with with the site you told Firefox to forget about so you're not getting some random phantom cookies lying around okay so that's the first that's the first segment of the email this is clatu again and that that was deep geek now i'm speaking as clatu um he's spot on right about this i mean this is this is one of the primary reasons i use firefox it is such a nice feature um i i don't think it's a default feature yet for the multi-account containers um i've had it installed for such a long time at this point that for all i know it could have been rolled into a default install i don't think it is uh and and i mean deep geek himself says it's an add-on so if he's checked lately then then that's two votes that yeah possibly this is something you have to add-on to your Firefox, but it is very, very worth it. If you're not running this add-on in Firefox, if you're not running Firefox, you should try both of those things. Firefox and it's the the, the Firefox multi-dash account containers. That's the n- the name of the add-on. So if you go into your extensions for Firefox and search for multi-dash account containers, then, and I'll I'll put a, sh- a link to its little homepage uh, in the show notes because it's it's really really good it's amazing uh it it m- my partner actually turned me on to this she she uses it for a lot of her cuz she she separates out you know obviously uh well not obviously but you know, work profile from a personal profile especially for social media posting she needs to have sort of that that clear separation and so she's been using this for even longer than i have uh but she turned me on to this and it it's amazing you it's this little it's a little the uh, you know it comes up as a in, in the little plugin area on on your browser. And when you click it, you can create containers within Firefox. So you could have a work container, you could have a a personal life container, you could have a financial life container, you could have a, um, a gaming profile, you know, all the different things that you do on the internet that you might want to separate out from each other. And And that's exactly how it gets used, because then you can open up a site um, while at work. You could open up your work uh, email or your your work's collaboration suite or whatever uh, in one tab, and then have another tab for some other profile with another account somewhere, and then... Another tab, and so on. So, and you can literally you can sign into the same site just in a different tab in your in the same Firefox window. And the tabs are color coded; that they, they get a little line at the top according to whatever color you chose for that container. So you can tell pretty easily. Uh, better yet, Firefox, or rather multi-account containers, eventually starts to learn what sites quote unquote belong to which container now that can be a little bit troublesome because uh you know if it's a site that you go to for for more than one reason like let's say you've got a, a youtube account and your youtube account you use both for your personal life to post videos or to watch videos whatever um but you also use it at work because you you have to post stuff for work or something um then you, you know the multi-account containers will never truly know which which profile you want YouTube, or or more specifically the Gmail account that you have to use to sign into YouTube. It, it won't know whether you want to do you know that 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 action. It won't know whether that's a work action or a personal action. But even in that case, it prompts you. It 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 says like you know this this site has is you usually open up this site in uh you know your work profile is that what you want to do or do you want to open it in the current container that you're in right now so if you open it up in a a site that you don't normally open it in then it it sort of flags that and and asks you to whether you want to proceed or to open it into in, in the other container. And it's not doing that. It's not like when I say learning, it's not using any fancy algorithm here. It's just literally when you go to a site and tell it to open it in a, a different container, that gets earmarked as belonging to that container. And I believe you can reassign things. Actually, yeah, even when it warns you, I think you can say, like, remember this for next time if you want to, like, no, I didn't mean to ever open this up in my personal. This is really just a work account thing. Assign it to the work container, so it, it'll still get confused sometimes. It's not, it's not flawless, but I mean, when I say it's confused, it 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 is lit. It's just one step between going, you know, it's it's one step on the path of opening something in a different container. The way to get around that step is to just go to the account, the the multi account container button in the upper right of firefox and and open a new tab in the container that you want to open it it, to use and then go to the site so it, it it's either you know it's six of one half a dozen of the other it's not a big deal um you can also reopen a site so if you go to a site you're there like i don't know github or something you log into that and you thought and you think oh i didn't actually mean to do that i need to reopen this in my work account and so then you you it just opens that you'll have to sign in again of course because <laughs> that's the point of the containers right is it's isolating everything but you can just like swap out a tab if you want so that's the multi-account container feature of Firefox, uh, it, it, I think it's like an officially supported add-on, but it is just not included in the default download of Firefox, probably because it's considered a quote-unquote advanced feature, I imagine, and they just don't want to confuse people. Um, but it, it is really, really nice. If you are at all interested in privacy, then Absolutely, absolutely, you need to try that. Firefox multi-account containers. Okay, Deep Geek continues. What does this have to do with your last show? You mentioned those weird, unique numbers in the Firefox profile manager. Those are actually hashes of entire installations. So to give an example, I just installed Firefox from the Void repository. He uses Void Linux. Uh, back to Deep Geek here. Um, and Firefox kept track of the difference between the Flatpak installs and the install done with the Void installation system. I can manually open one profile with the other Firefox install, but I don't want to. And Firefox lets them live side by side. Lastly, with profiles, I just figured out Uh, how enterprise installation works with Firefox. I I now have an institutional policy so that no matter how many profiles I create, I get the same exact pre-installed add-ons and the same security settings. Uh, Okay, this is Cloud 2. I didn't know about that. I don't know what he's talking about. Um, The the profile thing, I, I hear what he's saying. I just don't I don't buy it. And here's why I don't buy it. I, I don't... I buy what he's saying. I, I think he's correct. I believe he's correct. I'm, I'm pretty darn sure he's correct. I just don't buy that that's the only way we could do this, could, could achieve this functionality. And I, I feel like a lot of times in computing, there's a sort of a principle to things. And one principle is uh, things need to be... Um, sort of automatically generated and and look and feel random and and that way we can ensure that there will never be any collision in namespaces you, you see the same kind of argument with flatpak to be honest people have been saying for years now flatpak needs better naming schemes um once again I've complained about this several times but I may as well do it again let's search for Here's my favorite example for no good reason. It's not anybody's fault, but Flatpaks. But if I do a Flatpak search GIMP, G-I-M-P, of course there is a Flatpak containing GIMP, the GIMP name in it. And one of those is org.gimp.gimp. And that's the name that you're supposed to use when referring to what you and I colloquially call... Is it colloquially? That's its name, right? GIMP. Or GNU image manipulation program. But you're not allowed you can't in the flat world, you can't say that. You can't say I want to install GIMP. You have to say I want to install org.gimp.g.i.m.p. dot capital G capital I capital M, capital P. That's stupid. And and I understand the argument for that, because that's a unique, sort of fully qualified, unique name. No one else in the flatpak world can now call their application org.gimp.gimp. Fair enough. Um, let's, let's look for another one. Here's Pulsar, I think is what it's called. Nope. Uh, Pulsar. Yeah. Uh, Pulsar. Um, this is the Atom editor and actually, is this the one? No, that's not the one. Sorry. I'm thinking of VS Codium maybe. Yeah. I think this is the one I'm thinking about. No, actually that's not it either. I don't know what I'm thinking about. There is, there is one out there. There's an editor out there that you can install through Flatpak, but it's, a quote-unquote unofficial flat pack. In other words, it's not. It isn't distributed by the by the the developers of the application, and so the address of the flat pack doesn't contain. It isn't the official. It you know. It doesn't use the fully qual, qualified domain name of the development website because it's not. Coming from there, uh, it uses probably, I don't know, uh, you know, an whatever application I'm thinking of uh, URL. So you can tell from the application ID itself whether this is, like, from the developers, as long as you know the official website name. In reverse, uh, you can tell whether this is from the developers or whether it is from someone who happens to have packaged an application up for flatpak because it's open source software, and you're allowed to do that. So there is there there's the unique ID of of that of that thing, and I guess the fear. Within Flatpak, is that someone could develop, you know, create a a a bad and a malicious version of um, the application uh, GIMP or or Pulsar or VS Codium or whatever, and and someone would accidentally install it by just typing in Flatpak install malicious app. And they would—you'd never know the difference. I mean, not—you wouldn't type malicious app. You'd type GIMP, or you'd type um, Pulsar, or VS Codeium. Th- those are the things that you would type, and then because there's no unique identifier, you're just subject to this sort of common one term that might. That that might not be the correct one. What's that got to do with this profile manager thing? Well, I think this, that's kind of the same logic. Is that well, we have to have like these ridiculous, very human unfriendly naming schemes for fear of somehow colliding with the same name somewhere else. And I am just not I'm not convinced that that's the thing that could happen. You can build other systems around your your thing to protect from from that kind of eventuality. I mean, you could insist that yes, you can have a human-friendly name, but we're going to tag a random string at the end of it no matter what because we need to keep it, we need to keep it completely uh, unique. Or you could say, well, we will only ever look at the name of your profile up to the first underscore and after the underscore you can have whatever human friendly naming scheme you want to have yourself we'll ignore that we're just looking at that 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 first part part of the name or whatever you could say um, that, that you know you could have, there could be a key within the the profile so that if someone wants to rename their profile something that they'll recognize then, then you're not even looking at the name. You're looking at the key within that within that directory. I mean, there's there's lots of different ways to do it. I don't really understand this idea of 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 sort of over complex, quote unquote, guaranteed to be unique naming schemes. It just doesn't doesn't make any sense to me. So. I'm not buying the the weird, um, the weird string, the weird unique numbers in the profile manager pr- profile manager names. I, I don't I don't think that that's a smart way to do it. I could be wrong. I'm no expert, but seems to me like that's that's you could get around that. Okay, so anyway, and I understand that you know things are created before people name them. So how do you get around that? And like I said, there are ways. We we all know there are ways to just design around inconveniences. Um, but you know, I mean, someone would have to do that design. They would have to program it. It would have to, uh, and, and certainly now Firefox has a l- long time of, of backwards compatibility to be concerned about. So I get it. I get it. I just don't. I don't. I don't like it. Um, but those profiles are great. I mean, Deep Geek is spot on about their advantages and and how well they work and how they truly truly isolate sort of your user identity. I've taken advantage of these uh, quite often, not really for myself, but when when transferring data at at um, at, at client, on client computers, they're just it's really handy for that sort of thing. The the one thing I dislike about this also though is that Firefox does tend to change profiles um, in an irreversible way. Should you uh, update your Firefox version and then try to go back to an older profile, or, or rather, and then sorry, if you update your Firefox application and then you decide, I don't really like this new version, I'm going to just go back to the other version, then Firefox basically can't very frequently. It can't go back. It can now no longer use your profile. You You have updated your profile and now you are out of luck. You cannot use that profile with an older version because the older version, you know, for whatever reason, just can't handle the fact that there's, like, some, you know, one new data field or whatever the difference is. So that can be inconvenient. That's caught me out a couple of times where where I'll, I'll... I'll go to, a, a, I don't know, either a, a nightly build or to a flat pack because I want to try the flat pack. And then I decide, no, I'd rather just use a system install, but then the system install is lagging behind the flat pack or whatever the scenario. And that's a real that's a real problem, I think. So whenever I'm messing around too much with profiles in Firefox, I generally make a backup of the of the profile, okay. Uh, Deep geek continues. Uh, Firefox users get an extra bonus. The guys at the Tor Project they don't want to write their own browser, so they submit patches to Firefox instead. So if you want a Firefox pr- uh, profile that acts like a Tor browser but not on the Tor network, all you have to do is search for the Tor Uplift Project and toggle on a new feature written by the super privacy-minded Tor folk. On f- for Firefox, so that's really really cool. Um, I didn't know about this one. This is new to me, and I haven't I haven't had a chance to try this yet. Um, I will say though that that's that's one thing that I do notice about my internet usage is that on Firefox. I mean, I I only use Firefox unless there's some site that for whatever reason insists that I use Chrome or something like that. Um, and even then, I I do I have Chromium these days or do I just use Chrome? Yeah, it looks like I do have Chrome. I think that. Might have been is that installed with Firefox? I don't even know where that came from. Or no, Firefox Slackware? I don't know where it came from, but that's what I've got installed on my system right now. Usually I use I, I try to use Chromium, um, but I guess in this case it must have been <laughs> easier for me to just have Chrome or something. Or maybe there was something that literally I needed Chrome for. I don't remember. It's been ages now, and I probably should just actually probably uninstall that so that I can update it if I'm going to go that route. But anyway, um, Firefox is is really my you know, certainly my daily driver and anything else would be an exception to the rule. And I've, I've, I've faltered a little on Firefox, you know, for a, for a little while, Firefox was, I think, struggling maybe or something, because I, I was having serious problems with it. And I did switch to Chromium for like, maybe a couple of months. Um, And, and it's just, I don't know, it's not it's not super satisfying uh, especially knowing i mean chromium you know there's there's satisfaction there because it is open source so you know at least that that things are that, that the development is happening f- from lots of places and and people multiple people are benefiting from that process uh chrome not very satisfying at all uh but f- firefox is is it's a really really robust application is the thing i mean that's it is a powerful application and i don't really love web browsers in theory. Um, and yet Firefox is, is really, really well done. It's got a lot going for it. It's a really nice browser. It's got amazing add-ons. There's, there's a lot to like about Firefox and certainly about Mozilla, um, at least what they, you know, the, the Mozilla Foundation and what they support. So lots going for it. So that's what I use. And what I have found is that in the best of cases, um, it just doesn't seem like websites know who I am. And, and most websites seem to think that I'm visiting their site for the first time. And I'll admit, like, there are, there are some days where I just think, this is just so stupid. Because... I've been here 20 times I come here every every morning uh, I go to this website or whatever you know and and then I, I realized that the fact that that's happening is actually kind of a good sign I mean apparently my my trackability and and sort of browser uh, cookie retention policy and all these other things is so bad good that websites specifically designed to cater to your personalized experience they just don't they can't they don't have that ability and in in today's world that's bizarrely kind of a a comforting thing it's kind of nice to to know that that my configuration and the browser that i'm running is sufficiently confounding to all of the very high-tech data tracking and data retention policies that that websites have uh That no matter where I go, it just seems like I have to reintroduce myself every single time. Does that mean a lot more clicks sometimes? I mean, it depends on how bad the website is. Like sometimes websites, you know, they'll have 20 different pop-ups that you have to get through in order to tell you what region you're in, to to tell the website what region you're in, and whether you're okay with their cookie policy, which you're probably not. But I mean, these days it doesn't matter apparently because I'm just going to ditch them after I'm done. So, yeah, it's, it, I I didn't necessarily set out to go sort of privacy conscious, interestingly, with Firefox, but I think either I'm compelled to configure things that way anyway, sort of without thinking about it, or maybe, I mean, you have to think about it, but I don't, I don't know that I was sitting down thinking, well, I'm, i I need to be anonymous online. I had better go and change everything. This is something that I think I've developed rather organically. And that's not to sort of pat myself on the back. Like, that's just a choice that I'm making. And like I say, that there's good and bad to it. I mean, like, in one sense, yeah, it's great. Because now I feel like I'm anonymous online. Big deal. Um, On the other hand, I have to click several, several times every single time I go to a website, sometimes even in the same day whether that's an experience that a modern user really wants or needs to have is is up for debate I'm I'm not going to say that everyone needs to be anonymous online all the time I don't even need to be anonymous online all the time I mean sometimes I do want a website to know who I am it's fine I don't care you know it's it's like if you know that I I I play role-playing games and I purchase role-playing game products that's okay uh I don't mind that um I'll have to figure out how to let everyone know that. But but certainly the the web browser um, doesn't seem to or the web doesn't seem to know. But the cool thing here is so I'm not patting myself on the back necessarily for saying, oh, look how privacy conscious I am. I'm actually just saying that if that's the route you want to go, then Firefox will support you in that. And that's important. That your that the tool of your choice isn't going to sort of stand in your way, certainly. I mean that would be a deal breaker for me. But it does happen. I mean there are absolutely software tools out there that when you when you decide that you want to try something the software is literally designed to not let you do the thing. And like that's the worst, right? That is worst case scenario, I think, is, is when an application or, or a whole vendor is literally designed to prevent you from pursuing something on your computer that you want to pursue. That's just the worst thing. I mean, unless it's something horrible and really, really bad. I mean, okay, I I get it. Like, obviously, you wouldn't... I'm not going to design a tool that will just uh, circumvent, um, I don't know, logging into a a secure site. Like, yes, you're still going to have to to type in your your passwords, and I'm still going to encrypt that traffic. I get that. But, like, in terms of, like, choices that you want to make on how you use your computer in a bubble, a tool should not prevent you from doing that. Firefox doesn't prevent you from doing that sort of thing of thing. Firefox supports you in the choices that you make on how you want to interact with the big wide world out there. And that's important. I mean, the internet is a, a a crazy place. It's like the real world. I mean, it is the real world. It's There's a lot of different things happening there, lots of different agendas, and you need the ability to opt in. Everything on the internet needs to be consensual. And if if your tool is is not letting that happen then that's a bad bad sign and you shouldn't have to hack around it in order to get to 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 opt into something or to opt out of something that should be something that is made clear and and relatively simple to comprehend by the tool that you are using and that for me is firefox and that i think is one of its key advantages and i've 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 said so on several little surveys that mozilla has sent out like that component right there and interestingly i think that component is broadly called privacy which i you know i mean we all we've all had the problem with the definition of privacy right because people say things we all say it we all think it sometimes don't we don't need privacy we're not interesting enough for people to like spy on quote unquote and and that and and we've had great great explanations of why that is not sort of that's not the primary concern so it's a complex term privacy but that's the term that we're using i guess and i think For me, almost, interestingly, I I don't think it's about privacy as much as it is about consent opting in and opting out. Like, yes, that that falls under privacy or maybe privacy falls under it. I'm not sure. I just don't think that the term privacy encompasses everything about the concern here. And I think the, the real concern is just how your tool presents options available to you when you're interacting with the internet. That's a really important important concept because if it doesn't give you the options if it hides those options if it actively works against those options then you, as a user you may not even know it's a concern and so you're being duped and that's just not why we're using computers we want agency for everyone and and I think I think Firefox really is is kind of the only browser still so far that has Truly demonstrated that that's their agenda. That they don't have like an ulterior like we would really prefer to track you agenda, or we're working with vendors to help them track you better agenda, or or just or just we see what you want to do. Let let we'll we'll let you do that. We'll 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 help you build this online um profile or have your own agenda on how you want to interact with the internet. We won't stand in the way. I think Firefox is really the only browser that can kind of make that claim still to this day. And that's a crazy statement because Firefox has been around for a long time. So for them to have held fast for this long is kind of amazing. And also lots of other browsers have come and gone. And they've each had the same ability to sort of step into that role. And instead they pretty much, they they very frequently sort of, go in other directions. Chromium's probably a good uh, exception and there are plenty of perfectly acceptable browsers based on Chromium. Um, I'm just going to say that in terms of interface and making it really simple for people to opt in and opt out of things and sort of manage their own identities, I think Firefox is is among the best. All right, back to deep geek. Should we have coffee? Yeah, we should have coffee and then we'll come back to deep geeks. Email, finish up their episode. <laughs> back. And I've got coffee, and it's a new coffee. It's not the summertime blend from Flight Coffee. This is a coffee from a place called Stonehouse Cottage, I think is what it's called. And I was, I was taken there. Uh, I was, I went there with someone else. And when I first was on the way, I the 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 name Stonehouse Orchard or whatever it's called cottage um, made me think that the 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 building would be stone and indeed it was when I got there it was a stone literally a stone cottage um, and it was it's a cafe so or um, primarily a cafe and I mean they have amazing food and and amazing coffee which is obviously why I bought a bag of their their coffee beans but I um, I also found out while I was there that they have an orchard in the back. And because of the time of year here in New Zealand, uh, you could go pick your own cherries. So we did that. So we picked about a kilo of cherries, and I think I must have eaten them in, in at least, I mean, it. It might have been a full week, but I, I think it's more like five days. It was so good. Uh and and a lot of fun to pick your own cherries. I mean it's work. People get paid to do it, but I mean, instead I paid someone else so I could do it. Um and it, it was it was really fun. It was good. It was lots of cherries, very good. And the coffee was great. Uh and so the the sequence of events was that we had lunch, um, really good sandwich, cup of coffee, and an amazing cinnamon roll, American style cinnamon roll. It was so good. Um and and then we went to pick cherries and walked through the gardens. Came back into the cafe because by that time I was thinking I should get another cup of coffee. And then the the corollary thought to that was I should get a bag of the coffee beans so that I can have lots more cups of coffee at home. And I did that, and uh, yeah, it's really, really good. its I guess the guy at the cafe said that it was like a prize-winning blend or something like that. It's super good, and I was pondering the flavor profile of this. And as you know, if you've listened to previous episodes, um, flavor profiles are something that I'm kind of struggling with lately because I'm realizing that we don't have specialized language for it, or at least that I know of. I mean, there may be among the, the people who... I don't know, think about flavors a lot. But for me, in common language, I don't know of a way to describe a flavor outside of just similes. You know, you say, oh, this coffee is uh, sort of bright, like, and has a subtle flavor of sort of like apricot, you know, and th- and that's that's how we describe a coffee. That doesn't seem accurate. Obviously, coffee doesn't actually taste like apricot. So what's the element within the apricot flavor that we're tasting in the coffee what is that? What's that called? And in music, you do have terms. You know, you can say, oh, that's a treble uh, note. That's a bass note. That has vibrato and, and all these other things. But in, in flavor, I don't think you have that. Or maybe you do, like I said, and I just don't know what they are. But anyway, I was thinking about the coffee. This is not an apricot flavored, or, you know, this doesn't have any notes of apricot in it. But um, what it, what it what it does have is that sort of really dark, almost burned coffee, you know that that sort of dark dark roast. It's got a hint of that, but uniquely, that that hint of that flavor is it, it it's more of a um I don't know if it's quite an aftertaste, but it's the thing that you taste, you know, sort of after you've savored the coffee for a little bit and then you realize, oh, there's a little bit of a little bit of a dark roast in there, but it doesn't taste like a dark roast. It's not like a full-on slam you with a truck of dark roast coffee beans it's it's like a smooth coffee oh wait and is that a little bit of a dark roast in there in the background why yes it is it's an amazing i've never quite experienced anything quite like that before i don't think so this is a good one it is from stonehouse cottage i'm pretty sure is what it's called oh yeah so sorry so I, i meant to finish that story too so the point of stone house. It's not... It isn't... I mean, it is a stone building, and there are other stone buildings on that property. But the reason it's called stone house is because they grow cherries, apricots, plums, maybe peaches, I don't know. But these, these kinds of fruit, as I have come to learn, I think I might have known this, but they're called sometimes stone fruit, I guess because they have a, a big old seed in them, like a single you know, very hard seed at the center, and so they call them stone fruit. I, I don't know that I knew that. I might have, but um people were talking about it like it was super obvious on the day, and it took me a long time to catch on that that's, oh, stone house, like stone fruit house, not a house made of stone, although both were true, so in my own defense, I wasn't wrong. Okay, let's, let's move on with this Email I uh, so Deep Geek says I recently ended up with a little mini PC so he's moving on from Firefox now he says I recently ended up with a little mini PC from a project I like to call my Roku server I leave this baby running 24 7 and thus no longer use my big big computer for serving the household Roku's since my big computer idles at 70 watts and this little guy idles at six watts this is my way of being green I used a K- I used a KVM switch for the install. It can get confusing to remember which computer you're using. So, here are a few tips. The pre login screen for consoles, the one that says something like void Linux on TTY3, is controlled by a file called slash etc. Slash ETC. Issue. Now that the name of the system is known, you can do a web search for Linux slash etc slash issue sequences, as in escape sequences, and add all kinds of information to your pre-login screen. This really helps when uh, keep track of when which computer screen is actively your screen is actively showing you. As far as using SSH, once you have it all installed, um, I'd like to suggest a little add-on for the file after installing the package Neo fetch okay so first I'm gonna look I'm gonna do a quick look yep db appears to be correct um, if you do a cat on slash etsy slash issue you see welcome to backslash s space backslash r space backslash m uh, space parentheses backslash l close parentheses don't know what any of that means I can guess but um, I think he's probably correct. If you just do an internet search for slash Etsy slash issue, you'll probably find a bunch of cool little sequences that you could have your computer say to you when you get to a non-graphical login screen. So that's cool to know. I I don't know that I knew that. Um, So then he says, uh, yeah, he's saying with install NeoFetch, and then you have a cool hack for SSH stuff. So here it is. Um echo a bunch of dashes uname-n what is that uname-n let's find out really quick uname-n is the uh your your full your full local um local domain um or node name is what they call it dash dash node name is what they say uh in the man page uh okay so neofetch memory uptime distro i don't think i have neofetch installed i know the application I do. I do have it installed. Uh, Oh, that is nice. Memory. It tells you how much memory you've got. Uptime. Shows you your uptime. Distro. Shows you your distro. Oh, I like that. That is very cool. I like that a lot. Um, Let's see. Where else am I here? I've lost my place. Um, NeoFetch. And then echo-in-terminal colon semicolon TTY pipe cut-d forward slash dash F three to four. Um, what could that be? I don't, I don't know. Oh, 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 echo dash in. Okay. So terminal colon PTS slash one is is the, the current tty that you're on and then echo dash 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 so basically he's giving he's giving you a bunch of information uh, about the system so with this when you log in with ssh between two rows of dashes followed with the displays the name of the system the neofetch summary of memory uptime and distro uh, and lastly the name of the tty you are on uh, and then the bash cut command removes all the slash dev stuff and so on so yeah, that is really useful. I'll be honest. Um, so this is Klaatu again, uh, and that's the end of the email. I'll be honest, what I do lately, and th- this is almost... This is what we used to do at uh, the digital visual effects house that I used to work at here in New Zealand, in Wellington. Um, and there, it you know, always felt a little bit grandiose. And then and then you realize, no, actually, that's really, really useful. <laughs> um and like like a lot of things, it, it does it has the strange ability of kind of fading into the background once you get used to it, which which of course makes it again less useful. But here's what I do. So my bash my bash prompt is preceded by a line displaying the history number of that of, of where I am in my bash history. Uh, the um the host name the host ip, the directory that i'm in, the git branch that i'm in, what version of python i'm running and what version of java i'm running. and i'll explain each of those and why i would do that. and, and so so in other words, when i when i i'll type in clear here. so i'm looking at my console, my my kde terminal. and and i see a line 518 blah blah Directory git uh, python java and then under that there's a dollar sign space and that's where I put all of my my commands and then once I hit enter I'll do an ls okay there's my stuff and then five nineteen blah ip directory git java python or python java and then next line dollar sign space so. Every bash prompt I have is effectively two lines. There's the line about everything, and then there's a blank line with a dollar sign. The reason I do this is because I know that a lot of people have, like, they have their prompt update itself every time they move into a new directory, or or it shows them their username at their host name and then their directory. And that, to me, is, I, I can't stand that. I want my bash prompt as far to the left as possible. But I've lately I have come to to realize that it 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 does save me commands if I have a certain amount of information on screen at all times. And because the bash terminal can sort of fly away into into nothingness pretty quickly, you know, if you if you list the contents of uh, slash temp, I mean, there my whole screen is now useless to me but all I have to do is look down at the bottom of it, and now I've got all that information again. Exactly what directory I'm in, whether I'm in a git branch, and so on. So having that line of sort of a summary is pretty darn useful, I have found. And having like the history, the history number. Well, that's great because that way, if I'm if I'm doing a sequence of of, of commands, and I get what get one wrong, and I have to sort of backtrack. Then you know, unless they are all listing the slash TMP directory that clears my screen and fills it with names of useless files, um, I can just look up a couple. Okay, that was five seventeen. Okay, great exclamation point five seventeen. Cool. Done. So um, that was the clear command, by the way. Um, so that's that's really nice. That's easy to, to sort of keep track of of. And that way you don't have to type in history to find the command that you don't want to have to type in because you're too lazy. Like, that defeats the purpose if you have to go to all those steps. So I just like having the number there. I'm not saying it's a must. I'm just saying I'm enjoying it. Uh, the host name, because when I SSH to some other host, uh, then I want to remember that I'm that this is not that. I'm, I'm not on the computer that I think I'm on. Uh, and that's really, really important. And that is one of those things that you can sublimate really easy even if you have it staring at you right there i've even color-coded my prompt in some cases or changed the prompt in some cases and i'll still forget in in a in a on a on an off day i'll still forget uh the ip address is just nice because you know that way you have it the directory that you're in is yeah it's nice actually you don't have to type in pwd all the time which is what i used to do and i'm not saying that i'll i'll keep this for the rest of my life. I'm just saying the way I'm working right now with lots of different, you know, I've got a Kubernetes cluster running on pies in my in my closet. I've got my home server. I've got my desktop. I got my work laptop. Because of all that, this is a, a convenience factor. Um, knowing what branch I'm on is is quite nice because I use Git for a lot of things. I use it at work. I use it in personal life. I use it for uh, you know version tracking, all kinds of things. So just seeing that there is is really useful. And then the version of Python is just nice because I I it's just a nice thing to have up there. It's something that's easy to have up there. Why not? The Java one is a little bit more. More nuanced uh, because I use SDK man, which is a Java um, package manager essentially. I mean, it's not really, but that's kind of what it is. Uh, SDK man.io, I think. You can install different versions of Java and then switch between them. So it's a little bit like Debian's alternative package or you know Fedora's uh, alternatives package which I think is a re-implementation of Debian's alternative package um, it's it's just a way to 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 tell your system, hey, um, I want to use this version of this application right now. SDK Man has an awareness uh, of Java that that alternatives. You could do it with alternatives. You can do it with alternatives. But SDK Man makes it really really easy because you can download new versions right then and there and just switch over to it. It's it's really nice if you're if you're doing that. Um, if you're doing a lot of Java development, then it's it's really quite a nice feature to have. And it's just nice for me to remember half the time like what my system thinks my java is so that i don't launch netbeans or something and then realize oh you're using the wrong version of java so that's why that's there and yeah that's a lot of information it's it's a lot of it's it's a big old line of of text it takes vertical space in my terminal cuz now every prompt is like i say essentially two lines of of text and that's fine like right now this is very much working for me so that's my bash rc um, sort of, that's my prompt scheme and uh, yeah, it's working for me well here. It, like I say, the, the, the concept for this came from the visual effects, uh, studio that I used to work at. We, we always had that at the top and, and it was similar there as well because you had different, like very, very different environments that you would have to load into your terminal in order to work on a certain, um, scene for a certain movie because every movie would have its own environment and so you you, you kind of had to know where you were in your terminal or or at least it was nice to have a constant reminder that you're in the correct environment uh, so that when you run a command and it fails y- you can you can look up and say oh right i'm i'm on that movie and i i meant to be over in this movie and is deceptive because it was a networked file system you could zip over to a movie without being in its environment quite easy so you you always had to remember to switch over to the the environment of that movie as well as to the directory of that movie very very essential and and it worked really really well um and i I was i I had that i I implemented it in tcsh there because that's the sort of the shell that that was kind of the baseline shell, um, and it worked well, and it, and it became kind of a TCS, TCSH tradition for me. Like, I couldn't use TCSH if I didn't have a two-line prompt, but for some reason I have the ability, unintentional though it may be, to separate out, like, how I use TCSH versus how I use Bash. It's it's really kind of weird. Um, or, or lots of things, like keyboards even. Like, for the longest time I was running uh, Dvorak at work and QWERTY at home. Just to kind of keep myself uh, literate on both. Now I've thrown that away, and I have no idea how to use a QWERTY keyboard. Should have, should have kept up with that. Except, I don't know. Work is no longer a separate place, so it becomes complex. So that's Deep Geek's email. That's everything he had to say, and everything I have to say in response. Thank you very much, DP, for the for the, the the email, for the the thoughts, the ideas, the, the 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 revelations. I I'm pretty sure I didn't know about slash Etsy issue. I could be wrong. I might have mentioned it back in the episode where we were talking about TTYs, but I don't remember it. So thank you very much for that one. And thank you, dear listener, very much for listening. I'll talk to you next time, where we'll continue our tour through the Slackware install process. All you need to do is press a button and it'll flash on the screen.